Turn your Bibles, if you will, with me tonight to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Paul writing to the church is revealing to us how things got to be where they are and the place that life and death, eternal life and spiritual death hold in the world that we live in. Verse 12, Romans 5, verse 12, he says, Wherefore, as by one man, talking about Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. Notice that death by sin. Now, he's talking about spiritual death here, but he would also be referring to all the consequences of spiritual death and or sin, uh, which we know would be inclusive of sickness and disease. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now, skip down with me to verse 17. For if, that word if is literally the word since. For since by one man's offense, talking about Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. For since by one man's offense, death, spiritual death, reigned by one. Much more, they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Now notice again verse 12. He's talking about Adam's sin opened the door to spiritual death. Opened the door to consequences. Uh, of that death, that spiritual death. It brought every evil thing to bear in the world. It brought about the curse of the law. Or things that we know of that were later identified as the curse of the law. There was no law in in, uh, Adam's time when he sinned. But it brought the curses upon mankind. It brought sickness and disease upon mankind. Now one of the things, there's several things that we can notice about this. But notice that since sin, Adam's sin, Adam's disobedience, against God, the one thing that God told him to do or not to do. We know, therefore, that since sin opened the door to death, sickness, disease, poverty, and all the consequences of spiritual death, or all those things we know of as curses to mankind, since sin opened that door, then the answer to sickness has to be the same answer for sin. In other words, if we're going to combat and defeat sickness and disease in our bodies then we're going to have to go back to the source or the solution for what was the source of sickness and disease, which was Adam's sin. That's borne out again in verse 17 because he's talking about overcoming and reigning in life, talking about reigning over spiritual death and the consequences thereof, sin, sickness, and disease, and poverty, and so forth. Notice he says, since one man's offense, Adam's sin, brought this upon mankind, then the answer to come to the place where you defeat sickness and disease, and of course that's the one that we're focusing on tonight in healing school, he says the answer for that is to receive the gift of righteousness which comes by the grace of God. Well, when he's talking about receiving the gift of righteousness, isn't he talking about Jesus' substitution, substitutionary work for us on the cross? Isn't that what took care of sin for us? Notice he doesn't indicate or identify that there's some new solution or some new pattern for overcoming the consequences, the unnamed consequences of the curse. He doesn't separate sickness and disease out from sin. He doesn't separate the answer for sickness and disease to be some other solution or some other answer other than the answer that we have for sin, which is Jesus' death on the cross. That tells us something else. It tells us that sin, since sin, Adam's sin was the thing that opened the door to sickness and disease. 
We know for certainty, therefore, that God didn't create sickness and disease. When God finished his creationary work, after six days of creating, he looked at what he had done and he pronounced it very good. Well, the Bible says in Acts 10, 38, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing. Not doing good and making people sick. So healing is identified by the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 10 as good, which means sickness can't be. Healing is the answer for sickness. So healing can't be good and sickness be good at the same time. It's one way or the other. And the Bible says that with God, there's not even a shadow of turning. He's always the same. He doesn't change in any way, shape, fashion, or form. He's always the same. So if healing was good when Jesus performed it, then that means it's got to be good for today. Another thing is that we know from joining these scriptures together, we know, therefore, for a certainty, that God doesn't use sickness and disease to put on mankind in any way whatsoever to teach him anything in the world, in this world. The reason that we know that is because Jesus went about doing good and healing. Now, if any of the people that Jesus had healed in his earthly ministry had been made sick by the will of God, then Jesus' healing would have been working contrary to the will of God. So since sickness and disease and all the other components of spiritual death, consequences of spiritual death, since they came as a result of Adam's sin, then that means all this stuff belongs to the devil. Every bit of it belongs to the devil. Now let me prove it to you with a couple other scriptures. In um, Which one did I pick here? Luke chapter 5. It tells us the story of Jesus healing a crippled man. It's also in Matthew 9 and Mark 2. They all give um, the same story. They all tell the same story in, in virtually identical ways. But Luke chapter 5 has a couple of phrases in his account that I like particularly. So we'll start in verse 17. Luke five seventeen. it says, And it came to pass on a certain day, as Jesus was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him, before Jesus. And when they could not find what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and led him down through the tiling with his couch, the bed that he's laying on, into the midst before Jesus. And when he, Jesus, saw their faith, notice he saw their faith by what they did. And when he saw their faith... He said unto him, the man that's crippled on the, the cot, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Now, if we stop reading right there and make a couple of comments or consider a couple of things, what do you think the man came to Jesus for? What do you think he had his friends, his four friends, bring him to where Jesus was teaching to get? Forgiveness of sins? The only way that we could attach that to what we know he came for, which was healing, is if he was wise enough and familiar enough with the Old Testament account to know that sickness is the result of sin. We don't have that information to be able to say with certainty. So I want you to see that Jesus, knowing full well what he's doing, 
Jesus talks about, talks to the man that needs healing for his physical body. He talks to him about the source of sickness and disease and the overcoming of that source, which is sin. He says, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, what reason ye in your hearts? Which is easier? Notice his question. I think the question he posed to them is a question that's good for us too. Which is easier to say, your sins be forgiven thee, or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power upon the earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. So Jesus is operating in a situation, in a system, that's exactly the opposite of what we have today. Exactly the opposite. Now, I don't mean the people are any different now than they were then. But when Jesus asked the question of the, the Pharisees and the doctors of the law, all the educated people are there. We don't know that that's all that was there, but we know there was a good contingent of them because the Bible identifies them. When Jesus asked them the question, he says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Well, he knows what their position is. He knows what their thoughts are. They're thinking, well, it's a whole lot easier to say to the sick, be healed, than to tell somebody your sins are forgiven, because nobody can forgive sins except God alone. Jesus does not refute that idea, not in the least. He said, so you'll know that I, the Son of Man, has power on the earth to forgive sins. Notice he calls himself the Son of Man, not the Son of God. He said, so that you'll know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of the palsy, arise, take up your bed and walk. And he did. What is Jesus showing us? What does this account in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us? It's showing us that the solution for sin is the solution for sickness. It's not one solution for one and a different solution for the other. It's the same identical exact solution what is the solution for sin Jesus death on the cross then what is the solution for sickness and disease Jesus death on the cross let me show you another scripture that will prove it out turn with me to 2nd Peter I'm sorry 1st Peter chapter 2 talking about Jesus and his suffering what he endured for our sakes he says in verse 24 who his own self, talking about Jesus, bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Now, why would Peter use an Old Testament doctrine, an Old Testament uh, quotation, Isaiah 53, 5? Why would he quote that for the New Testament that speaks specifically of the healing of our physical bodies and the price that Jesus paid, the blood that he shed to take that price upon himself, to pay it for, on, uh, with his own blood. Why would he use that quote to write to the church if the same benefits were not still in place? Nobody dis uh, disputes that Isaiah 53, 5 was a promise to the Jews 
that would be fulfilled when their Messiah came. Nobody disputes that. So why would Peter quote it in the New Testament? Why would he quote it for the church if healing was not a part of what belongs to us through the resurrection of Jesus? Now, some people would say, yeah, but Peter was an apostle. And because he is an apostle, there were things that God did through them, he and the others, that he doesn't do today. There's a a big contingent percentage of the church that believes that the last, when the last apostle died, the healing power of God died along with it. That God never intended for the healing power of God to work the same way in our modern day church, in our modern day existence, as it did when the apostles were here, the first generation of the church. But speaking to that, I'd like for you to turn to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 tells us the story of when the man at the beautiful gate was healed. You remember they're going to prayer. Peter and John are going to prayer. And they come upon this crippled man that apparently is in the same place every day. This is his spot to beg. Everybody knows him. Everybody passes by and that goes into the temple through that way. So he's well known. And he looked at Peter and asked Peter and John for some money. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Well, he does. He lifted him up. His ankle bones received strength. And he leaps and walks, the Bible says. And he held on to Peter and John. He's so excited because he's healed. He's holding on to Peter and John. And all the people come running up to where he was. I'm sure the people that saw it are intrigued. Other people that didn't see it but are hearing about what happened. is probably spread throughout the temple. And that, that uh, area around about. And so everybody comes running up to Peter and John. And they ask a question that seems astounding to me. It says in verse 12, and when Peter saw it, saw the people holding on to him and everybody getting in such a tizzy about it. It says, when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, you men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look you so earnestly on us, Peter and John, the apostles, as though by our own power or our own holiness, had made this man to walk. Now, folks, I would submit that those are the two things that most of the modern church assumes that that make up that contingent that I spoke about earlier that believe that the healing power of God passed away with the last apostle. If the apostles had some kind of special power or some special place with God that you and I don't have, wouldn't they know it? Wouldn't God have revealed it to them in some way or another? So that they didn't mistakenly mislead you and me? Wouldn't they have some kind of understanding? Well, of course they would. They'd have to. If they understood the work that Jesus had commissioned them to do, they would have to know something about it. And notice the two things that Peter said that it wasn't. He said, it's not by our own holiness, meaning we don't have a special place with God that you can't have. And he said, and it's not by our own power. We don't have something because we're apostles that's that's not available for anybody else. Peter identifies specifically those two things that are not involved in the healing power of God. Why look you so earnestly on us? As if by our own power or our own holiness it made this man to walk. That's not what it was. That is not what it was. What is it? Well, he tells that too. He identifies what did it 
Verse 13, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and just, the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God has raised from the dead. Certainly he's talking about Jesus. Whereof we are witnesses. Now notice verse verse 16. And his name, not our own power, not our own holiness, but his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him has given this crippled man this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. You ever heard anybody say the name of Jesus has passed away? You ever heard anybody say that faith has passed away? Nobody can say those things. They can't say that faith has passed away because if faith has passed away, then nobody can be saved. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. So if faith has been done away with, if faith has passed away in some way or another, then there is no church. There is no salvation. There is no one that can be saved because faith is the necessary means whereby, that, whereby we receive that. Well, have you heard anybody say that the name of Jesus has changed or the name of Jesus has been done away with? Not at all. Nobody would dare to claim that. And thank God they won't because the name of Jesus endures forever. Amen? In uh, the spring, I think it was April of 2011, I was at the house by myself and out of nowhere, all of a sudden, suddenly, my hand, my right hand and my left, my right hand and my right foot began to shake violently. I didn't know what it was. I never had any experience like that before. I didn't know what it was, but I knew it wasn't God. So I immediately confessed the word of God concerning healing over my body. I spoke to the devil and told him that I refused to allow it. I commanded him to go. Well, I'd like to be able to say that that worked instantly, but it didn't. And over the next 12 months, 12 or so months, there were other symptoms that began to develop in my body. One of the first things that happened was I lost the ability to get sleep. I went for, well, four years at least, maybe a little longer. But I went four years not being able to get a full night's sleep. The most I ever got during that period of time was three, three hours, usually less. Well, over a period of time, that'll wear you down. Now, every night I'd lay down and I'd confess what the Word of God says. The Bible says, and I'd remind God the Father, Father, you said that you give your beloved sleep. And your Word says I'm accepted and beloved, so that belongs to me. And then many times I'd wind up sitting, all, sitting up all night. Many times I, I sat up all night quoting those verses. But sleep eluded me. Another thing that began to happen shortly thereafter was that I lost the ability to breathe without focusing. I don't exactly know how to describe some of this stuff. But you don't even think about breathing. The only time breathing becomes an issue is if you stick your head into water and you remind yourself, don't breathe now. But I came to a place where I had to really focus on breathing. 
and it created a hardship for me. And, and really, this is uh, um, these things began to develop before I found out what the doctor's diagnosis was. Um, middle 2012, I guess, the doctor, I did go to, to a neurologist, and the doctor said that, uh, diagnosed me with Parkinson's. And he told me, basically, there's not much we can do. We can give you some medication, but it'll dull your senses, and uh, it'll make you so dull, non-alert, I'm talking about, that, uh, that the, the tremors will cease or be less noticeable. But there's really nothing they could do for it, and he prepared me for the worst. He said these things would get worse and worse, and when they start getting worse and worse, then there's some more aggressive treatment that they can try and all this kind of stuff. But he, he basically said... You know, it's, you've got one of those unfortunate things that you're just going to be stuck with, and it's all downhill from here. Well, that was a great encouragement. And another thing, along with the breathing, and the, the, once I got the diagnosis for Parkinson's, then I, I did what everybody would do. You do an online search and find out everything you can about what you got. Then you can diagnose yourself and get really in a position where you have to deal with fear, you know? That's kind of how it works, I guess. But uh, I found out through uh, doing some cursory study that it's the breathing part that makes people in public life, have to, people with Parkinson's have to retire from public life. Singers can't sing if they can't breathe. If they have to give attention to their breathing, then they can't give attention to their singing and, and their voice. They wind up losing their voice and, and so forth. Same thing with, uh, uh, with people in the public eye, people that are politicians or speak before crowds of people they lose the ability to speak because they have to focus on the breathing well it created a real hardship for me because I had to focus more and, and, uh, and concentrate more on breathing than the preaching that, and the teaching that I was trying to do on top of that there was something that uh, again I have a hard time describing this there was something that happened mentally to me I've always been able to be quick about things quick response quick in, as far as my memory is concerned and stuff like that well I started losing that I couldn't join my thoughts together I couldn't remember what I was planning to say and um, the best description that I know how to, to give you is if you've ever been to the beach and you've run in waist deep water you know how difficult that is. Now, you can do it, but it's tough. You have to really fight against the water and, and concentrate and that kind of stuff. Well, for about four years, I felt like I was thinking underwater. That was the difficulty that I had gathering my thoughts together. So during that, that three- or four-year period, I had some real, real difficulties. There were a lot of times where I just wanted to phone it in. Just get somebody else to do the preaching or the teaching. Somebody else to conduct the service. Because I was having to focus on myself and my own situation. I knew I wasn't doing a good job where the church was concerned. I was doing the best that I could. But it was certainly hindered and limited. So those two things were the, the um, most burdensome of the symptoms that I had. Now there were other symptoms involved. Uh, shortly after, well, within the first year of uh, the tremors beginning, there were times where my hand, my right hand and my right foot would seize up. It's the most excruciating thing I've ever experienced. 
I've never really had to deal with a lot of pain, physical pain. I've always been healthy. But man, these, when it would happen, and it was always in the middle of the night, when it would happen, it'd leave me crying, just sitting alone in my chair. Well, the doctor said those things would increase and continue. And every day I'm quoting scriptures concerning healing. There were things along the way over the, the total period of time that God would bring to my remembrance. Usually it would be after a time that I did get some sleep. He'd bring to my remembrance a, a scripture. And it was like when he said it, it was brand new. Scriptures I knew of, scriptures I was familiar with, scriptures that I confessed. But when he whispered them to me, it's like they were brand new. So I kept going forward, little by little. Well, I don't have the breathing problem anymore. I don't have the thinking problem I had anymore. Now, the thinking part, about 95% of that's gone. There's still just a little bit of a residual there. But it's pretty well done for. Another thing that I found was that I lost my signature. Because whenever I'd try to write, somehow or another, my hand wouldn't respond, wasn't able to control my hand in the way that I had before or could before. And my, my writing got just tiny, microscopic. So you couldn't tell if I was signing my name to something anyway. So I just try, did what I could not to, uh, not to sign anything. And it was a really embarrassing thing because I didn't want to tell anybody in the office. And so every month, Sharon would put a stack of birthday cards in front of me and say, here, they signed these. I didn't want to sign anything. I didn't even want to try. And that caused me to, to take a little bit different position concerning the symptoms. I began to tell the Lord, I want my signature back. And so I began to change my confession a little bit to declare freedom from every trace of every symptom. Every trace of every symptom. Well, I've got my signature back. Now, about halfway through, the, through 2017, last year, something happened. And, and let me preface this by uh, sharing some other part of this. One of the reasons that the Lord wants me to tell you about this, and I, I, I would really rather not. I'd rather just wait till it's all done, say, here it is. If you want to know what I dealt with, read up on it, and thank God it's done. But many of you may remember, some of you may remember, that it was pretty close to this time last year that I declared that 2017 would be the year that I had my healing. Well, January 1st came along, and I didn't have it in the way that I was expecting to, the way that I was confessing to have it. And it made me mad. I don't get mad about many things anymore, but that, boy, that was one of them. Now, who am I going to be mad at? I know it's not God's doing. I mean, if we get down to it, we would have to uh, acknowledge that God has the power to bring this all about supernaturally and instantly. He could do that. But you can beat yourself up from wondering why didn't he do that. And in fact, he never promised that he would. There's no promise in the scripture that we have that if we believe hard enough or long enough or strong enough or confess enough many times or whatever, 
that we'll get instant results. That's just, that promise is just not there. That's the way we always want it to work. I mean, who wants to put up with something when they don't have to? And so I was mad. I got mad at myself. I got mad at the devil. Wouldn't let myself get mad at God. But after a couple of days, the Lord reminded me of some things. There have been two times specifically that he brought to my remembrance where I was believing him for finances. And I was believing for those finances to come by a date certain, a deadline that I was facing. And neither time did I meet the deadline. One time was two days after when the money came in that I was believing for. Another time was a week after. And he reminded me of those times where he came through, but it wasn't according to the deadline that I established or that was imposed on me. I'm not really the one that said it had to be by this time. I'm just believing God for the answer because of the time that uh, was set by the people that owed the money. But you know what I found? I found that two days later they were still willing to take the money. I found out in the other case that a week later they were still willing to take the money. And they didn't act like there was any problem whatsoever. They didn't talk to me about the deadline, having missed it or anything. They just gobbled up the money and were happy as clams. The Lord reminded me of that. And here's the way he did. He asked me, referred to those two situations, and he said, was I late either time? Well, no, not really. It was after the date that I said it should be or had to be, but he still came through. He then asked me this. He said, does that mean that your faith wasn't working? Well, no, if my faith hadn't been working, the answer wouldn't have come at all. And so he calmed me down a little bit on that part. But back to middle 2017. I was sitting in my chair reading. I was reading the Bible on my iPad. And all of a sudden I noticed that my hand and my feet are not shaking. Now as soon as I thought about it, here it comes. But every day since that time, every day, there has been some time during the day where minding my own business, I realize that the tremors stop. It only stops long enough for me to notice. And the, the longest period of time, I guess, that I have been aware was like 10, or 10 maybe 15 minutes. Well, I'm not putting my faith in the circumstances. I'm not believing God more because I've seen improvement. I'm not believing God more because I now have a voice that the devil tried to take away. It got to the place where I felt like I was just whispering. And I knew I was creating a hardship with the guys back at the sound booth because they're having to crank everything up that they can to get the whisperer in my voice to be loud enough for people to hear and understand. Well, I'm not putting my faith in the fact that I've got my voice back or my signature back or that I can breathe without thinking about it. But it is an indication that your faith is working, isn't it? One of the things that happened just a couple of days, well, it was the week between Christmas and New Year's. There was a couple of days left before New Year's came around. And I was in the house walking from the, the family room into the kitchen. 
And we've, uh, we've always burned Yankee candles and tried to have good smelling stuff in the house and all that kind of thing. Well, I lost my sense of smell once this thing started, the first year uh, before I was even diagnosed, before I went to the doctor to be diagnosed. I lost the, completely lost my sense of smell. Completely lost it. Now, with my family, that's kind of a mixed bag. <laughs> but it still irritated me that the devil had taken something from me. So I'm walking between, just around the, the kitchen counter, right there where the Yankee candle is. And I walked into the smell of that Yankee candle, and all of a sudden I could smell. Now, it didn't last, but just a few moments. But that couldn't happen unless you were believing God, could it? Amen. One last thing, and that is, uh, I think it was October. It may have been November, but it was toward the latter part of last year. I had a, um, uh, an appointment, doctor's appointment with the neurologist. And I, 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 I don't know what to attribute it to. I don't know, well, I don't know anything except to be able to tell you what happened. And that was, it was a morning meeting, morning appointment. And I went to the neurologist, and I had no symptoms whatsoever. For as long as I was in the doctor's office, there was no shaking, no tremors, nothing. Now, one of the things that they do to try to get a handle on how much worse I'm getting is they make me walk down the, the hall and then turn around and come back. And she told me, after I came back, she said, are you doing something, that you, something different? I said, no. As a matter of fact, the, the medication that they've got me on, I've, take it, I've decreased it to about a, a third of the dose that they encouraged me to take. And the, the, um, according to what they tell me, Parkinson's is really not treatable, so the only thing they can do is throw medication at the symptoms. And the medication they've got me on is kind of like a Tylenol or an Advil. There's no residual buildup in the body. If you take a, a Tylenol or take an Advil, it'll work for so many hours, four hours, six hours, whatever it is. But that if you want the, uh, the benefit of the medicine to continue, you have to take it again. Well, that's what this medication is, is like. I, and I wanted to find out about just how this stuff works. And so there's no saturation benefit from having taken it for a long period of time. If I don't take it, then it dispels or works its way through my system one way or the other. And so it couldn't have been anything where medication is concerned because I'm taking less than what they told me to take. And the biggest reason for that is one of the side effects of the medication is dry mouth. I don't know if you've ever tried to talk in public with your mouth as dry as the Sahara Desert, but man, that's a little less than comfortable. So anyway, I went to the doctor's appointment, and she watched me walk down the hall and then back, and, then, and she said, if I wasn't treating you already, I would say that you didn't have what's been diagnosed. Well, I asked her about that. I said, are there any cases where people get better? She said, none. Nobody ever gets better. Well, I'm getting better. Now, I didn't try to preach to her. I didn't try to tell her about God healing me or confessing the word or 
anything like that. If the time comes when it's appropriate for me to tell her and that's what God wants me to do, then I will. But it doesn't matter to me one way or the other. I'm not believing God for my healing for somebody else. I'm believing for it for me. Jesus paid the price for me. And I refuse to have less than what he, what he paid for. So I want to encourage you. Even if things don't work out the way that you think that they should. Or the way you want them to. Or in my case as quickly. As I wanted them to. It doesn't change the truth of God's word. Every day for the last. Well since the first symptom appeared. I have made a, a, a habit of doing certain things not a day goes by when I'm not rejoicing about my healing not a day goes by that I don't wake up and begin confessing what the word says concerning my healing most of the, the, uh, the scriptures that I quote or confess are the ones that the Lord has whispered to me and given me because I feel like it's just, just for me now, they're in the Bible. You can quote them too. But there are certain of these scriptures that you're quoting that are really mine. I'll let you use them. But they're mine. But I'm not in a ritualistic mode about that either. There are some days where I sing all day long. There are other days where I'll sing and rejoice in the morning and then I won't have a chance to get back to it until the next day. I've become very aware of the need to avoid doing something as a ritual or as a matter of works. Because faith is of the heart. So, here we are. We're in a situation, I was in a situation, where I was looking for the answer. Well, what did I find the answer to be? Folks, the answer is what Jesus has already done. I've been a big one to tell people along the way the same thing Brother Hagin used to tell people that came to him. God's not going to do one thing about your healing that he hadn't already done. But what's he done? He gave us Jesus. Jesus paid the price. Jesus shed his blood. Not just for our sins. Not just for bringing us out of spiritual death and into eternal life not just to make us righteous but the Bible says that God sent Jesus to pay the price for our sickness and disease too now what's going to happen from here I don't know I would love to wake up in the morning every symptom to be gone never have to deal with it again and by the way that's something else that the Lord really put on my heart to believe for your healing but also to attach to that Believing that it won't rise again. And there's a scripture for that. I think it's Nahum 1.9. And it says something. Well let me pull it up. I'm not even sure if I've got the right reference. But we'll see. Yeah. I do have. Nahum 1.9 says, what do you imagine against the Lord? There's a lot of different translations about that. The modern translations of the, uh, the, what am I trying to say? Well, the modern translations say it's some, something like this. It says, 
Why are you thinking what you are about the Lord? What do you imagine against the Lord? He will make an utter end. Affliction shall not rise up the second time. So I'm willing to go all the way through this thing. Honestly, I feel like it's kind of a situation. You remember the ten lepers that came to Jesus? They cried to him far off and um, besought him to have mercy on them. And Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. Well, the Bible says the ten lepers were healed as they went. Only one of the guys came, stopped and turned around, came back to where Jesus was to glorify God because of what he received. But the ten lepers were healed as they went. I kind of look at this as maybe my walk's just a little further than theirs. Now, I know some people have had a problem with me preaching healing when they can see the symptoms present in my body. And to that, I always ask the same question. What should I preach? What are my options? I guess I could say, that the Bible says we're healed, but you can clearly see in my body that we're not. But my heart really wouldn't be in that because I don't believe that to be true. But instead, I've chosen to take a path that claims and, and takes possession to the best of my ability of what God's word says Jesus paid for, no matter what it looks like. No matter what it looks like. The important thing is I've got my voice back. I've got my breathing back. I've got my thinking back. Isn't it interesting how the thing that came against me is specifically targets your voice. Now, there might or might not be anything to that. I don't know. But I do know this. I know that the whole kingdom of God is like speaking the word into your own heart. Mark, 20, Mark 4, 26. Jesus said, talking about or relating to the, the parable of the sower sowing the word. He said, the whole kingdom of God is like a man planting seed in the ground. Everything about the kingdom of God, everything that you want, everything that Jesus has done for us comes about as a result, becomes a reality in your life as a result of speaking the word into your own heart. I especially like that he says that man goes to bed and rises every morning and the seed that he plants produces, he doesn't even know how. Because there's a lot of, of this I don't know how. There's a lot of this I don't know why. And I don't really care. Because the one thing I can say is that God has shown himself faithful and shown his word to be true. So I'm left at the same place with the same thing to do as you are. Hold fast the profession of your faith. For he is faithful that promised. He is faithful that promised. One of the things the Lord whispered to my heart, not about this. This was back when I was... Uh, Still in Bible school, or just had finished Bible school, I guess, in 1982. There was something that was going on that, um, well, it was just something I was believing for. There was a fight of faith attached to it. And just as I woke up in the morning, I get this probably most often than any other way. 
just as I begin to open my eyes, just as I wake up, that place Brother Hagin used to say is between sleep and awake. That's where the Lord speaks to me about certain things. And in this case, he quoted to me 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, I think it's verse 24. It's either verse 24 or 25. And it says this. King James says this. Faithful is he who calleth you, he will also do it. But that's not the way the Lord quoted it to me. He quoted it this way. Faithful is he that calleth you, he will bring it to pass. He will bring it to pass. So whatever you're believing God for, faithful is he that called you, he'll bring it to pass. Let's all stand together. I'm going to worship God for a minute. I invite you to join with me if you will. Father, I thank you so much for your word. It is an honor to stand in faith and to defeat every trace of every symptom of a so-called incurable disease simply by faith. It's an honor, Father. It's the greatest honor of my life to trust your word, therefore trusting in you. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for the changes that have taken place. But Lord, if there were no changes, if it never looked any different than it began, your word's still true. I thank you for loving us, Father. I thank you for caring for me. I thank you for your word, for delivering your word to me. And I especially thank you for those things that you've whispered to my heart. I love you, Father. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for paying the price. Thank you for taking upon yourself all sickness and all disease. I thank you, Father, that there's nothing that's too hard for you. And I thank you that you've made known to us that your word is your power brought to bear in our lives. Father, I thank you you're faithful to each one of us, not one more than another. But the same truth concerning my healing is true for anybody else and everybody else. Thank you, Lord, for redeeming our lives from destruction and crowning us with loving kindness and tender mercy. I thank you, Lord, that because we've set our love on you, you'll deliver us because we've known your name you'll set us on high when we call upon you you'll answer us you'll be with us in trouble you'll deliver us and you'll rescue us with long life you will show us your salvation with long life you will satisfy us and show us your salvation which certainly includes healing. Lord, we thank you for lifting the burden off our shoulders and taking the yoke off our necks. And that the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. We bless you, Lord.
We bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 This is one of those times where you don't need anybody to lay hands on you. Nothing wrong with that. That's one way to minister to people. But when the presence of the Lord is in a place like this, you don't need it. You can just reach up and take hold of whatever you need for yourself. Just reach out and receive it and say, it's mine. I have it now. We bless you, Father. We magnify the name of Jesus. Blessed be your holy name. Blessed be your holy name. Bless you, Lord. The blood of Jesus is the cure for sickness, is the cure for sin, and it's the cure for sickness. Thank you for your precious blood, Lord. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Whatever you need, just reach up and take hold of it. It's like there's a fog hanging over your head. That's the glory of the Lord. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Say it with me. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. Now say it this way. The Lord is good to me. And his mercy toward me endures forever. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Bless you, Lord Jesus.
Lord, we believe we receive healing from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. We believe that we receive. Now, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, that you'll see to it that we have it. Even according to your word. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Well, that's all I've had on my heart to share with you. You don't have to go. I don't care if you stay all night. <laughs> the Lord is good. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Well, let's just take this with us this week. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.